What's happening, everyone? Welcome to episode three of Hoops and Chill with Candace Evans. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the current movement on NBA Twitter, hashtag boycott the NBA. We're going to discuss the last time we saw an NBA player actually blackballed from the NBA. We're going to look at the Utah Jazz inability to tank right. We're going to do what feels like our weekly check-ins with the Brooklyn Nets and Golden State Warriors. But before all of that, we're going to get into the headlines swirling around the NBA. NBA veteran Ben Gordon has been arrested and charged with misdemeanor assault after allegedly beating up two McDonald employees. Suns forward Cameron Johnson is out indefinitely with a torn meniscus. Miles Bridges has pled no contest to domestic violence charges to avoid jail time. James Harden is out at least one month after suffering a right foot tendon strain. Kyrie Irving has been suspended five games following his post of a link to a film and book that is said to have anti-semitic themes irving has maintained that he does not agree with everything in the film and book but has refused to outright condemn the entirety of its content his latest interview with nba media is what led to the suspension according to espn's adrian warjanowski take a listen i'll take my responsibility for posting that some things that were questionable in there, untrue. Like I said, in the first time you guys asked me when I was sitting on that stage, I don't believe everything that everybody posts. It's a documentary. So I take my responsibility. It seems like Adam Silver wanted to hear the word, I apologize, or in your mind, you said I didn't mean to cause any harm. Were you apologizing or you not apologizing? I didn't mean to cause any harm. I'm not the one that made the documentary. What, what are the specific things in the documentary that you don't believe are true and that you don't believe represent your morals? I think uh, some of the criticism of the Jewish faith in the community, for sure. Some points made in there that were uh, unfortunate. Kyrie, are you surprised that you did hurt people? Uh, surprised that I did hurt people? Are you surprised that reaction and some of the things that you did hurt people yeah I, I think I can ask a better question it's just a kid figuring out that uh, 300 million of my ancestors are buried in America where were you guys asking those same questions when I was a kid dealing with learning about the traumatic events of my familial history and what I'm proud to come from and why I'm proud to stand here and why when I repeat myself that I'm not going to stand down it has nothing to do with dismissing any other race or group of people I'm just proud of my heritage and what we've been through. And uh, the fact that this has pinned me against the Jewish community. And uh, I'm here answering questions of whether or not I'm sorry or not on something I didn't create. And it was something I shared. And I'm telling everybody I'm taking responsibility. Then that's where I sit. So, you know, these same questions that you guys ask, me dealing with it as being a melanated, pigmented person all around the world and dealing with racial biases against my skin color, demeaning me because of my religious beliefs. And I'm still sitting in the seat standing. So uh, I take my full responsibility. Again, I'll repeat it for posting something on my Instagram or Twitter that may have had some unfortunate falsehoods in it. But I also am a human being that's 30 years old and I've been growing up in a country that's told me that I wasn't worth anything and I came from a slave class and then I come from a people that are meant to be treated the way we get treated every day.
So I'm not here to compare anyone's atrocities or tragic events that their families have dealt with generations of time. I'm just here to continue to expose things that our world continues to put in darkness. I'm a light. I'm a beacon of light. That's what I'm here to do. You guys ask me questions about basketball, I give you my expert opinion. You guys ask me about other things, I give you my opinion, and it's met with whatever you believe the perception or the deception is. You guys investigate my life every day, and you justify it by serving your own purpose, which I honor. I would like the same respect in return. We're talking about anti-other things, because just because I post a documentary doesn't mean I'm anti-Semitic, and doesn't mean that I'm automatically standing with everyone that is believing in that. So it's unfortunate timing that we're in, but I'm glad that I could stand on the truth, because I'm not afraid of these mics, these cameras. I used to be looking everyone in the eye and telling the truth, that I'm proud of who I am. Any label that you put on me, I'm able to dismiss because I study. I know the Oxford Dictionary, you look it up, right? It's one of the biggest mistakes I had in being a kid was not knowing European or Western language until I started looking it up and understanding the definitions and why they say, if you want to trick a black person, put it in a book. I was wondering my whole life why they said that. Now I'm 30 years old and I know reading is a superpower because it helps me understand where I'm going and where I come from like a tree with roots. Irving is suspended for five games on paper, but his, ex his suspension can be extended if he does not complete this list before his five games are up. He needs to apologize sincerely and condemn the film and book's content entirely. Make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. He needs to take sensitivity training, take anti-Semitic training, Meet with the Anti-Defamation League, which is an international Jewish organization, and meet with Jewish leaders. Then he must meet with Nets owner Joe Tsai to demonstrate that he understands everything. It is worth noting that Kyrie did make a $500,000 donation to the ADL, but they rejected it. Looking at the big money, today all 30 teams are playing in what seems to be an impossible slate of games. All games are going to free are going to be free to watch on NBA League Pass app, available on just about every app store. For this week's Big Money Outlook, we're going to look at the NBA Pick'em and preview NBA on ESPN's Wednesday doubleheader. For today's NBA Pick'em, the question for each game is which team will get to 15 points first. Simple, right? So we'll start with the Hornets-Wizards matchup set for 7 Eastern. I got the Wizards. The Wizards are coming off a of back-to-back. -back, and what's, what is more Charlotte Hornets than to let a tired team get off to a hot start? Magic Rockets tip off at 7.15 Eastern. I got the Magic to be the first of 15. Both teams are young and have habits of playing ugly stretches of basketball. But the Magic's young core have better chemistry at this point of the season. OKC versus the Detroit Pistons at 7.30 Eastern. I got OKC to get the first 15. They have a flat-out star in Shea Gildress-Alexander. I wouldn't be shocked if he accounts for 11 of the 15 to start the game. Pacer Pelicans at 745 Eastern. I got the Pacers to get to 15 before the... Wow. Before the Pelicans. I was about to say before the Pacers. The Pelicans haven't been getting off to the hottest of stars to start their games. But they have been known for their second-half comebacks. But that does no good of NBA pick'em. So I got to go with the Pacers. 
Suns 76ers at 8 Eastern. I'm going with the Suns. The 76ers are having a nightmare of a start to this season, and the nightmare officially hit Elm Street with the news of James Harden's injury. The Suns, on the other hand, are their regular season selves right now. I wouldn't be shocked if they hop out to a quick double-digit lead to start the game. Bucks Hawks at 8.15 Eastern, going with the Bucks. Their defense has been torture, and Giannis Antetokounmpo has been an early MVP favorite. Heat Trailblazers at 8.30 Eastern. I got Dame Dollar. Dame Dollar and crew to get 15 first. As great as the Heat's defense has been, their offense has been up and down through their games. While I expect them to wear Portland down defensively in the second half, as early starts to games go, I got the Trailblazers. Raptors Bulls at 8.45 Eastern. I got the Bulls. Both teams played yesterday with Toronto taking home the dub. I expect for DeMar DeRozan and crew to be on revenge mode, and I expect for a better outing out of Nikolai Vucevic. Celtics Grizzlies at 9 Eastern. I got the Celtics to be first to 15. Good defense mixed with good offense is hard to bet against. The Grizzlies are expo- explosive on the offensive end, but they don't got the same defensive continuity as the Celtics. Knicks Timberwolves at 9.15 Eastern. I'll go with the Timberwolves strictly because I will never trust the Knicks in any betting scenario. Nuggets Spurs at 9.30 Eastern. I'm taking the Nuggets here. Nikolai Jokic has been generational. Jamal Murray is getting back into his groove, and the role players of Bruce Brown and Bones Highland have been phenomenal. Nets Mav at 9.45 Eastern. East Coast people, I know y'all tired. I got the Mavs. Luka has been an MVP second favorite, and if Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't exist, he would be the runaway favorite right now. The Nets are coming off a win against the Hornets, where they lost a 20-point lead and failed to score 100 points against a team that is literally allergic to defense. I'm taking Dallas in this one. Warriors-Kings at 10 p.m. Eastern. I'm taking the Kings to score 15 first. They have gotten off to great starts in almost all of their games, while the Warriors tend to get hot late first quarter, early second quarter. Lakers-Jazz at 10.15 Eastern Standard Time. I got the Jazz. Both teams played yesterday, and the Jazz are playing better basketball, and as shocking as this may seem, they're just a flat-out better team. The last of this hectic night is the Cavaliers-Clippers at 7.30 Eastern. I'm going with the Cavs. Both teams played yesterday. The Cavs are playing better basketball right now and have younger stars. Legs matter. Wednesday, the ESPN doubleheader is the Knicks versus the Brooklyn Nets at 7.30 Eastern. 430 Western. I'm about to say something crazy. I got the Knicks. The Nets are a dumpster fire. New York isn't as bad, which is crazy to say. I look at it. I'm used to saying the Knicks are the dumpster fire of New York. But the Nets, they have so much drama off the court. It makes their drama on the court. It looks small. You got KD. He is still playing that isolation basketball. He has enough shooters, but the shooters have to stand still and watch as KD pound cake, pound cake, pound cake with the ball and get late kickouts with the clock winding, shot clock winding down. That's not rhythm shooting. That's not a formula of success for your Seth Curry's of the world, for Patty Mills, even for Joe Harris. Now you're asking guys who aren't the biggest in their positions. Average, aside from Joe Harris, Joe Harris is proper size, but Patty Mills and Seth Curry, they're undersized for shooting guard standards. Average shooting guards, 6'6", 6'7". Those guys are like pushing 6'2". 
So now you're asking them to beat the shot clock with wild closeouts coming where they can't give up fake one dribble for a mid-range because the clock is expiring because Kevin Durant dribbled out the air of the ball. That's rough. Ben Simmons, he's, I don't know if it's his back pain because he ha- he did have back surgery or if it's mental, he doesn't want to actually shoot the ball. Whatever it is, he does not want contact right now on that offensive end. He's not cutting when he is in the paint. He is looking to pass off and move out the way. It's no, There's no movement. There's no continuity. I can't even tell you what they're trying to do on offense. Can't tell you what scheme. Can't tell you if they're a dribble, dribble drive team. I can't tell you if they're a four-out four horn set type team. I don't know. They're an ISO team. They're a KD, Bella out team. And Kevin Durant is like 34. You don't want someone in their mid-30s trying to bail you out, not in sports. The next, the Nets defense has been awful. Ben Simmons has been foul prone, but he is also playing a center-like role on defense, which isn't his strength. He is a talented on-ball defender. Covering up for KD, Patty Mills, Kyrie, and crew, that's not his specialty. That's not his game. I wouldn't be shocked, and I honestly expect the Knicks, the Knicks to get the upset, not because of anything the Knicks are, but because everything the Nets aren't. The second game in this doubleheader is the Clippers versus the Lakers, the Battle of L.A. Both teams are underachieving, the Clippers possibly underachieving worse. Like, I get the Lakers suck. They are one of the worst teams in basketball. But anyone could have looked at that roster and been like, oh, yeah, they're going to be bad. But the Clippers, their, wa- their roster says Western Conference Finals are bust. And I'm being nice saying Western Conference Finals are bust because we're really approaching championship or bust with this group. They were in almost every sports book's top five championship favorites, and they look mediocre to start the season. Something's wrong with Kawhi. Paul George cannot will them to wins regularly. They're mid right now. But even a mid-Clipper team can beat the crap out of this Laker team. LeBron on ball? LeBron in his heyday was a wizard on ball because he can break you down, get to the rim. His athleticism and explosion, he can dunk on your head or he can kick it out and surgically dissect a team's defense. Now he, he can't get he can't beat people off the dribble. That lift isn't there vertically. He needs a running head start, but he's not getting that head start. He's not getting a head full of steam because he can't beat his first defender off the dribble. He's not getting deep into the paint. So those kickouts, it's not as long as closeouts for those shooters, and those shooters aren't really shooters. You got slashers closing that shooters. It's rough. He's not finishing at the rim as clean because he's not beating that first guy. That first guy is still in front of him. He thinks it's a foul. He's the one creating the contact, trying to clear up space. So then he ends up settling for jump shots or over dribbling, trying to force his way into the paint. And AD is getting minimal touches behind it. AD has been actually posting up from time to time, which is rare because he does not want to do that. But when he does post up, LeBron is trying so hard to beat his man off the dribble AD's being waved off. He needs LeBron needs the paint open. So now AD's out on the wing after trying to post up. And then after the first three to four post-ups where he's waved off, for a guy who doesn't want to post up as right as it's already set, he's not doing it a second time or a third time. Later in the game, he's just there. He's checked out. But when he's in with Russ, he's getting the ball because. Russell can halfway beat people off the dribble right now. 
he is still in shape to play up tempo. He can go up and down without getting worn out. LeBron can't. LeBron can't play up and down basketball anymore. He can go up and down maybe four. I'm being nice. LeBron can go high tempo, up and down. He can do it for maybe two possessions straight. After that, he's done. He's old. He's in his late 30s. This is what happens. Russ is better on ball right now because he is in better shape because he is younger. He can beat people off the dribble. He can kick it out where those closeouts are a little longer. So a non-shooter has more time to set their feet, feel the threads of the basketball, and get a quality shot up. Now, are they going to make it all the time? Probably not. They're not real shooters. This isn't a really good roster. But better odds for Russell left on ball. But Russell's not on ball because LeBron James will always be your de facto point guard. And right now, it's killing the Lakers. This Clippers-Lakers game is going to come down to fourth quarter execution, which favors the Clippers. I take the Clippers in that matchup. Now we're going to go out west and look at the tank that just ain't tanking. The Utah Jazz have opened the season 8-3 and three and currently sit at the two seed in the west. The Jazz traded away their top three players in the offseason, leaving many to believe that they're going to rebuild, which is cold for tanking. But that tank ain't been tanking right, and the Jazz have brought in Kelly Olenek in their trade for Bohan Bogdanovich from the D- to the Detroit Pistons. They got Laurie Markkinen and Colin Saxton in their trade with Donovan Mitchell to the Cavs, and they got Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and many others in the trade of Rudy Gobert to the T-Wolves. Add those guys with Rudy Gay, Jordy Clarkson, and Mike Conley, the Jazz are a playoff team with hella first-round picks moving forward. This is the Danny Ainge playbook. I always say that there are GMs I wouldn't mess with. Danny Ainge, Jerry West, and Pat Riley, those are the type of guys who are always six steps ahead. If, if you hear from them and they're trying to deal with you, you're not winning that trade. You're getting fleeced. Danny showed that again this year. Trading away their three stars gave them eight first-round draft picks over the next six years and even more draft swaps. Some people will say that's nothing, but you never know with the draft. Blah, blah, blah. But I say going with chance with eight chances to find one quality player, I like those odds. He did the same in Boston with nine first-rounders and came out with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Not to mention the man is a wizard in second-round finds. The Jazz are going to make the playoffs this year and still get their first-round pick. Minimum two in this upcoming draft. I wouldn't be shocked if they finish higher than the Timberwolves. They have expert guard play with Mike Conley, streaky scoring from multiple guys, Jordan Clarkson, Colin Sexton, Malik Beasley, Laurie, the seven-foot three-point sniper marketing. These guys are all dudes who can give you 20 to 25 points. Oh, Kelly Olenek, forgot about him. Knockdown shooter. They have options. And those options aren't slouches on defense either. This is a sneaky good regular season roster. And I say regular season because as good as this roster is, they still don't have an A option. None of these guys are superstars. None of them even really say all-star to me. The playoffs are the time for stars. In a seven-game series, I don't think this roster has enough firepower to knock off Denver, Golden State, Memphis, Phoenix. I might even be missing something. The, The Clippers, they don't have the firepower for that. And I say the Clippers if Kawhi is playing. 
but man, is this a sneaky, good, regular season team. I saw someone on Twitter say the Warriors championship was a fluke, that it is fluke season. And I always have an issue with the words fluke and asterisk when it comes to sports. The very essence of sports depends on circumstances. This last postseason, the Bucks were without Chris Middleton in the second round, and the Celtics were able to take advantage of that. John Morant missed the final two games of the Grizzlies' second-round series against the Warriors. Anthony Davis was hurt against the Suns in 2021. 2020, Anthony Davis got a four-month break mid-season because of a medical apocalypse and was healthy the whole postseason because of it. Kobe Bryant got to play with Brian Shaq in his rookie year after Penny Hardaway would have probably had the same success. Maybe. We don't know. Magic Johnson got drafted to a team with the arguably best player to ever grace the game of basketball and was gifted finals MVP for winning, for willing the Lakers to one win without Kareem Abdul-Jabbar after Kareem wrapped that series up, leaving Magic to just put a bow on it. Circumstances control sports. The Warriors last year were a perfectly constructed symphony of basketball shooters. Youth, age, wisdom, versatile defenders. They were able to play multiple ways. They had a plan A, a plan B. They had a strong bench. Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton II, hell, even the hype guys, Damian Lee and Juan Toscano Anderson. They had a brilliant coach. They had 10 guys in rotation, all with a purpose, all with a role. All of them knew what it was. It was beautiful. It was not circumstantial. It was a harmony of an organization. Smart, experienced, brilliant veterans tied together by a great GM and an all-time great coach. Eyes on the future, capitalizing in the present. This year ain't the case. Plan A is still Stephen Curry with B being Klay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, or Jordan Poole on any given moment. All three of them can do it at the same time. After that, whoo! It is a headache. Now, the mix of vets and babies ain't a mix anymore. The bench is more babies than vets, and the idea that babies watching a championship equated them being vets was not thought well through. Jonathan Kaminga still does not have a fluid feel for the game offensively. Yes, he is a good cutter at times. At times, he can be a good defender. But there are more times than not he is taking ill-advised shots, misreading the offense, and getting completely lost on the simplest defensive schemes, especially off-ball. The same can go for James Wiseman. I get it. A big guy who can chew and run needs a shot in the NBA. He has a good touch, generally plays hard. In five years, he might be a player in this league. He ain't right now. Lackadaisical screen setting, poor defensive concepts, and the inability to catch the ball clean has made Wiseman enemy number one on Warriors Twitter. Is that fair? No. He's a baby. Babies need time to grow. Babies have growing pains. All NBA players, even the greats, have their growing pains. That's why keeping vets on the roster to allow the babies to play through their growing pains in practice and blowouts help. The vets on the roster, you can... With, with vets on the roster, you can send the babies to Santa Cruz to get in extra reps like they did with Jordan Poole. He wasn't full-time with the Warriors until last year. Up until then, he was back and forth between varsity and JV, and it helped him. He got to master those concepts in a slower pace. He came back ready. Jonathan, not ready to contribute on a high level consistently. He can do it in spurts. But 20-plus minutes every night? Nah. Wiseman? Can't do it in spurts. He needs time. 
The Warriors' issues aren't all on the babies, though. The root of the issue is their defense. They cannot string together constant stops. Their first group has generally been good on defense to start games and in the third quarter. But once a sub hits, the defense goes down the, goes down the drain. Health side rotations have been exposed every game. A team that used to be great with team defense has been turned into a cherry-picking fest of ball watchers, starting with Jordan Poole off the bench. And it sucks because he showed throughout the playoffs that he was an easy target on defense, and I was hoping he got out of that and at least became a solid team defender. You can get beat. That's cool. Just run off and help the helper. You can't get beat going to the basket and stay at the three-point line waiting for an outlet. That is unacceptable. That has been Jordan's M.O. most of this season. Without Dante DiVincenzo, who's been hurt for about two weeks, the second unit has been exposed in this sense. And once the floodgates open, the Warriors' starting unit hasn't been able to close those gates. They are 3-7. and seven. They are one of the worst teams in basketball, statistically. But I'm not worried about them, like I am the other teams with similar records, like the Nets and the Lakers. Yes, they have sucked. But they have also shown that they are one tweak away from having their situation together. I have confidence that this team can go on a 10-game, 15-game winning streak. That's not too crazy for the Warriors. I'd be shocked for the Nets to do that. I'd be shocked. The Lakers, it's not happening. I'm not too panicked if I'm Golden State. Should they still be title favorites? Yeah. Stephen Curry is still breathing. The other title favorite, according to just about every sports book, including Bet Online, is the Brooklyn Nets. The Nets are four and six on the season and have given us all the drama we could have asked for. Kyrie pissing off the modern world, Ben Simmons terrified of contact, Kevin Durant cryptic and passive aggressive off the court while shooting the Nets out of games on the court. It's a mess in Brooklyn, and it's their fault. When KD and Kyrie announced that they were going to Brooklyn, I was never on the, well, the Nets just became the NBA champions. I was never on that train. Kyrie's last year in Boston was drama-filled, most of it surrounding Kyrie. He called out his teammates publicly. He was playing poor and take, and was taking out that frustration on the media. He promised to stay in Boston and then dip. The same drama Kyrie was in the middle of in Boston was happening in Golden State with KD. Steve Kerr is on record talking about how he enjoyed getting his ass kicked with the 2020 Warriors, where Eric Pascal was the best player more than a final year with Kevin Durant. And Katie and Draymond, another drama queen or king, whatever, they both laughed at Kerr and said it made no sense. But looking at the Nets and Steve Nash, I see exactly what Steve Kerr was talking about. And the sentiment behind Kerr's statement is why the Nets were never going to prosper. They had a squad of role players. Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen. And you add Kyrie and Katie to that? But wait, they also brought in DeAndre Jordan and wanted him to start even though Jared Allen Jared Allen was an all-star caliber big man and DeAndre was lightly washed up and I'm being nice saying lightly Katie and Kyrie wanted their friend to start just because that's their friend the then head coach Kenny Atkinson he stuck with Jared because let's be real Jared Allen was the better choice but then the higher-ups told him to start DeAndre then Atkinson gets fired. KD's choice. And I want everyone to remember that this was KD's choice. Steve Nash was KD's choice. He was then hired. 
KD and Kyrie go on Instagram live talking about how they don't really need a coach. KD explaining his love for isolation ball and how he doesn't like being handcuffed and micromanaged, a.k.a. coached. Not feeling running offense. And then Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, they're traded away to bring in KD and Kyrie's other friend, James Harden. That season was rough because Kyrie then went AWOL. Not telling Steve Nash where he was. All Nash knew was Kyrie wasn't at the games. But he wasn't suspended for not showing up to work. Nothing happened to him. That season didn't end well for the Nets, with the Bucks bouncing the next in the second round. KD airballed the shot that could have won the game in overtime. Everyone likes to talk about how the shot he made, about the shot he made where his foot was on the line, but he had an extra five minutes of play after that and got bounced. He airballed the shot that could have won the game. The next season, Kyrie refused to get vaccinated, which is his right, but also limited his availability to play at home due to New York State law that mandated all employees be vaccinated to work in facility. So you have a part-time Kyrie. KD is in and out due to injuries, and James Harden wanted out. He sees the drama, and he was not feeling it. He forces a trade. They get Ben Simmons, who doesn't play that season, and then they get booted in the first round in a sweep. This series starts off bad. Steve Nash is fired, and honestly, he's probably relieved. According to reports, Steve Nash and the Nets mutually parted ways. I think he wanted out because he was at wit's end. You don't go from Manhattan Beach, working with Steph Curry and Steve Kerr, and casual nature to endless drama with the two biggest conundrums in the NBA and be happy. That's not realistic. The NBA is hard for coaches. And I blame basketball culture. You see, the two biggest sports in America are football and basketball. Both leagues are entirely different in terms of culture and player accountability. In the NFL, the coach has the ultimate power. Anyone can get cut. Don't matter what your stats are, don't matter what your name is, anyone can get it. Your money isn't guaranteed. Those long contracts aren't guaranteed. Long careers aren't guaranteed. Players have to go to college for three to four years. They get developed. They are a part of a collective of stars, but the world doesn't revolve around them. The biggest stars in college football are coaches. Nick Saban, Dabble Sweeney, Brian Kelly. You know, you know the coach's name before you know the players. Players walk into the NFL humble and hungry. They can't ditch a college program for the G League at night or go overseas because the NCAA isn't making money off my back. Nah, they have to go play for a team to get to the NFL. They are used to playing for a team, not them, a culture that was set before them and will live on after them. They know they aren't the center of the universe and damn sure not the center of the league. The NBA is different. Talent is spotted at AAU games when these kids are 11. They play on these elite circuits. They get free shoes, free travel, trainers telling them that their shit doesn't stink. And if a coach dares say it does, transfer. Wow, you're ineligible? Transfer again. Go to prep school. You can play for four different EYBL teams in a three-year span. Just get a change of address. You don't need to go to Kansas. Go to Australia. Hey, I know you're the best player in Washington, and y'all might make the March Madness tournament, but that might affect your draft stock if you get hurt. So sit out. Who cares about your teammates? Sit out. Hey, you're in the NBA, but it's a contract year. You don't want to risk injury. Yeah, you're clear, but how do you feel? I mean, 
the NBA, you couldn't even have voted for Donald Trump. If that got out, you'd be ostracized in the league. And this isn't me saying I'm a Trump fan or anything, but it's, it's, it's me saying that in the NBA, there is a collective mindset that has been set by the players and for the players. One way to act, one way to think, one way to vote, one year in college, multi-year shoe deal before any success in the NBA. Big money can't be taught. I have no problem with basketball players in America having more power because the rosters are smaller and individual players can have more impact on the outcome. So I get it. But when Adam Silver says my players are miserable, that's because pro basketball is the first time anyone's told them no. It's the first time that they are told by a lot of people that their shit indeed stanks. Their trainers and AAU coaches and high school coaches who also teach PE can't coddle them from that and that's why we see the tantrums we see you don't hear the nfl you don't hear that in nfl imagine if roger goodell came out and said my guys are miserable first off most of them dudes ain't getting on the phone with roger goodell like be for real lebron called up adam silver pissed over trash talk on the court of the nba finals and adam silver answered and then suspended someone because of it imagine roger goodell like let's put our thinking caps on imagine if tom brady called roger goodell saying richard sherman called me a bitch goodell would be like well stop acting like a bitch tom now get off my phone i'm busy but tom wouldn't make that call i don't even know if tom can make that call he knows he is not entitled to that but in the nba and basketball culture in general these guys feel entitled Kyrie and KD are entitled as hell. Kyrie has been off course for years, going AWOL, calling media members pawns, flicking off fans in the TD Garden, which, side note, was actually hilarious, but warrants a fine. He has no interest in being a part of a culture. If so, it's his culture. Same can go for KD. That fact was evident when they stepped foot in Brooklyn. And Joe Sy and Sean Marks are just as guilty. They're both adults. They have agency. They had rules and bent them for Katie and Kyrie whenever it was convenient. They drafted their butts off and got rid of it because Katie and Kyrie said so. And now they are willing to bring in a man, an Emi Udoka, who has just as much baggage as the two leading stars of this piss poor soap opera. And you know what? They deserve everything they're getting. All parties involved, deserve each other okay with two weeks of the nba season now passed bet online nba championship odds have changed the milwaukee bucks now sit on top as the overall nba champion favorites at plus 550 after them are the boston celtics at plus 600 despite the crappy starts the golden state warriors are still third well are, are now third they were second at plus 750. The Los Angeles Clippers are still there at plus 800. And the Phoenix Suns have jumped the Brooklyn Nets to round out the top five at plus 900. To start the season, I said the Nets shouldn't be there, and now they are not. The Suns aren't like the other four either, but time will tell on that. Even though history already tells us what we need to know about Chris Paul-led teams in the playoffs. Again, I'm not worried about the Warriors. They are still my pick to win the West. The Clippers, a little shaky. I'm not confident in a Paul George-led team. And without word on what's actually up with Kawhi, I'm questioning the Clippers, but I have faith in a Kawhi-led team. 
The Bucks should be the favorites, especially healthy. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a beast. That man has not let us down in the playoffs. Even this past playoff run wasn't healthy. The Boston Celtics are the Eastern Conference champions until someone knocks them out. I just wouldn't be shocked if Milwaukee gets the job done. So last week for the Halloween special, did a little story time. Nothing fancy, just cautionary tale, something I thought would be fun. And began a lot of, I've been getting a lot of DMs saying that the storytelling was cool, it was liked. So something we're actually going to do monthly at the start of each month, we are going to have stories around the room where I find a kooky, crazy, creepy, obscure story and bring it to you guys in my own fashion. So this week, since the suspension of Kyrie Irving, the hashtag boycott the NBA has been trending on Twitter. Some users feel that Kyrie has been blackballed for his Muslim beliefs. And one user went to the point of saying that his support for the free Palestine movement is the base of all of this. There was one user who even went as far as saying that the NBA hasn't had a quote-unquote free thinker and is punishing the first one they've come across. While those sentiments hold no merit in many NBA circles' viewpoints, it is worth noting that the NBA has had plenty of protests throughout its existence. And one player who was actually a voice for the voiceless was blackballed for those beliefs. So for today's stories around the room, we're going to dive into the blackballing of Chris Jackson. So who is Chris Jackson? If you're my age, you don't know. <laughs> you were too young to see him playing his heyday. You, you might see him from time to time in Ice Cube's big three league, but I, I really don't even watch that like that. It was fun the first season. Not watching it. But to tell you, Chris Jackson was Steph Curry before Steph Curry, before the three-point revolution. He had Kyrie Irving-type handles before Twitter could anoint a handles king. He had a quick release and an icy crossover and had a storybook NCAA career at LSU. In his first 32 games as a freshman at LSU in 1989, he set the NCAA records for points scored in a game, dropping 55 points in one game. He averaged 30 points as a freshman, I repeat, averaged 30 points as a freshman. He was the SEC Freshman of the Year, which no-brainer, and was first-team All-American. As a sophomore, he averaged 27 and was, again, SEC Player of the Year. He was that dude and did all that while opening struck, openly struggling with Tourette's Syndrome. He was the third overall pick to the Denver Nuggets, but despite all that game, he only played nine years in the NBA. How could someone so ahead of his time fizzle out so quick? It all started in 1996, and I did not mean for that to rhyme. Three years prior, he converted to Islam and changed his name from Chris Jackson to Mohammed Abdul Rauf. It was in 1996 that he decided that he will no longer stand for the national anthem. He actually went without standing for months before anyone even noticed. It wasn't until a local reporter noticed and made an article pointing out the disrespect in a blurb that Abdul Ralph ended up having to speak on the issue, saying that he felt that the flag stood for tyranny and oppression. He said he wouldn't stand for something he didn't believe in, saying it would go against his Muslim beliefs. In today's world, that announcement we shrugged off, trend for maybe 10 minutes, and we move on with our lives. 
But in 1996, it was huge. Not only was he suspended by the NBA, he also started to receive death threats and hate mail. A compromise was reached that he would be able to bow his head during the national anthem and say a prayer, something that was still offensive to many. He also fasted during the NBA season in observance of Ramadan. He was destroyed by the media. They scrutinized his skinny frame and slight drop of weight. In 2001, his house was burnt down after months of racist graffiti being sprayed on it. Mohamed Abdul Ralph believed that it was racially motivated, but the police department maintained that there was no way to really know if it was racially motivated, even though Turban Rarer was spray painted on the house, but whatever. One thing that wasn't up for discussion is that all this stemmed from his decision to bow his head during the anthem and his religious beliefs. Abdul Ralph made sure to tour inner, inner cities of every stop on each Denver Nuggets road trip, going from hood to hood to speak to men who had issues with fatherhood, incarceration, and drugs. Abdul Ralph was motivated by his growing appreciation of Malcolm X, one that began when college coach Dale Brown gave him a book highlighting Malcolm X. He saw his public speaking work as, a, as his pilgrimage to Mecca. He was walking the walk and being a light to those less fortunate than him. He was highlighting issues that many wanted to ignore in all facets, whether it was political or athletically, which includes the NBA. However, his continued need to speak out on those taboo subjects didn't fare well with the league. His playing time dropped, despite him averaging a team-high 20 points and 7 assists. But this wasn't about basketball. It was about marketing. And militant isn't marketable, at least back then. After his contract expired, he couldn't get as much as a tryout on an NBA team. He was just 29 years old. He was effectively blackballed at just 29 years old. His playing career was spoiled. But he has no regrets. Telling the undefeated, whether I go broke, whether they take my life, whatever it is, I stood on my principles. To me, that is worth more than wealth and fame. These discussions are necessary. Sometimes it takes people of stature, athletes, and entertainers because the youth are drawn to them more so than teachers and professors, unfortunately. End quote. In today's NBA, Abdul Ralph would be considered not only a progressive, but a hero, a leader, an American revolutionary. But basketball culture hasn't changed much. The NBA for, has for many years been a league of one thought. Back then, the thought process was that both sides of the aisles buy tickets, so don't piss either of them off. Today is pretty liberal in thought, and I'm being nice, say pretty liberal. In all days, the thought was, go along, get along. Mamad Abdul Ralph now plays in Ice Cube's Big Three League, where at 53 years old, he is still a three-point sniper. Dude's a baller. If he wasn't blackballed, his name will come up in a lot of discussions when it comes to best handles, greatest shooter. But... The guys who actually have the best handles, the guys who are also considered the greatest shooters, they bring his name up because they know what's up. 
This is all I have for this week. Thank you for joining me this week on Hoops and Chill with Candace Evans. I will be back next week right here on Monday at 3.40 p.m. with another episode. Enjoy tonight's crazy slate of basketball. Make good bets. And if you are not caught up, you can catch up on Hoops and Chill with Candace Evans. Peace.